guys, my name is Stephanie Cook, and you are listening to the What's Your Story podcast. Each week, my co-host Hannah Conway and I invite a guest on to share their story of faith because we believe everyone has a story, and we hope that by hearing theirs, you will be encouraged, inspired, and will think about the way that God uses your own unique gifts and strengths to His glory. If you like what you hear, we hope that you will rate and review and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform because that helps us to reach a larger audience, as does sharing our episodes with your family and your friends. If this is your first time, welcome to the What's Your Story podcast. And if you are here every week, welcome back. We can't wait to spend some time with you today. On today's episode of What's Your Story, Hannah and I welcome Rebecca Townsend. Rebecca is a senior licensed psychological examiner, a licensed professional counselor, and a nationally certified counselor. In 2007, Rebecca founded SAFE, Soldiers and Families Embraced, a nonprofit that offers free mental health services to soldiers, veterans, and their loved ones. Currently, she practices full-time in private practice, where she focuses on working with active duty service members, veterans, and their loved ones. This episode is particularly special to us as Hannah shared her own family struggle with PTSD through service in the military, and we know that you are going to hear her heart in a special way, even through some tears. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of What's Your Story with Rebecca Townsend. All right, here we go. Here we go. So it's, it's Monday. It is Monday again. We've been doing podcast recording on Mondays a lot. That's so. weird, isn't it? It is. Just, weird. It feels weird. Um, well, um, and I'm grateful because Monday's your day off. It is. So you it agreed is. to come in and, and kind of help us on a Monday. It was nice, but I was late because I lost my keys. <laughs> I can't. I don't even know. I don't even know. But they're behind a pillow after I blamed my children and everyone in the house, including the dog. I found them. So, so you're having a lot of guilt right now. I'm having some guilt. I had to apologize. I will home. share with you. So I was teaching the Enneagram last week at one of the schools mm-hmm. and the school counselor and the principal are both Enneagram twos. And I know that <laughs> they're also friends of mine. And so I'm sharing all the Enneagram two stuff. And so I'm talking about, I'm doing, it was like a conflict resolution relationship mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so I'm sharing like how hard it is for us to like, you know, get upset or get angry with somebody right. or go toe to toe with somebody about something. And then I said, and I don't know about y'all, but do you feel this like horrible remorse for months later? Yes. And they were both like, yes, yes. <laughs> and so, and then, you know, some of the other numbers in the room were like, y'all are crazy people. Like, why do you do that? And I'm like, why? Why? Oh, why do you not? Why do you not? So if you know. yelled at your children, I, I know right now your mm. stomach probably hurts and I'm like, mm. you're going to go home and help to ad nauseum to make that up to oh, them. I had to get some ice cream today. Mm-hmm. Help them out there. Be like, yeah. mommy loves you. I love you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, here's my keys. <laughs> yeah. So we're here. So my new thing is so I got Invisalign last week. Oh, how's it going? Well, I don't know. Like, it's good, but it drives me crazy. Like, this is the first podcast that I'm trying to do. So if I sound like I have a lisp, that's probably why. Like, I think I've noticed it more than anybody else does. I don't hear it. I do not hear okay, it. Okay, well, thank you. And you can't even see them. Legit, they are invisible. <laughs> Hence Invisalign. the name. Invisalign. <laughs> so creative. Yeah. So, and it's total vanity. That's why my husband said, why are you doing that? I'm like, because... I feel old and my teeth are crooked and I can control that. Like I can, that's something I can fix. <laughs> I can control this yeah. one thing in my life, yeah. my hair color and my teeth. Exactly. The cellulite <laughs> I'm not having so much luck with. 
So maybe the teeth. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we went last night, my husband and I went to Elevate, the college young professional uh, ministry at our church. And mm-hmm. I went to do social media stuff for church and realized I'm in this room with really young people. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> Because I might slap you. <laughs> they were so young. But we had such a great time worshiping with them. And um, mm-hmm. it, it was just neat to be like, wow, you're so young. And if I could just tell you some advice, would you right? like just to kind of pour into them? And it was it was good. It was a good night. So, yeah. Well, you are so young. So, Oh, well, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Back at you, girl. I know. Back at you, girl. <laughs> well, we have a great guest today. We do. I'm super excited about our guest. Um, as always, our guests are always a little bit nervous. And so mm-hmm. we like to just try to make them feel welcome and at home. But I've invited a good friend of mine who's also incredibly wise about many, many things. So we're going to talk about some mental health issues because it is Mental Health Awareness mm-hmm. Month um, in May. And so we wanted to definitely touch base. And we had our guest on earlier this month talking about postpartum depression. And so today we're going to be talking about some PTSD and Mm -hmm. some marriage stuff. So yay. So welcome to Rebecca Townsend. Are are you hyphenated? Nope. Nope. Okay. Mm -hmm. She is married, but kept her last name because she's an independent gal. Wow. Yeah. We say he didn't take my last name. So yeah, (laughs) you're not taking his. (laughs) That's a good way to start a marriage, right? Right. (laughs) I'm not taking your last name. (laughs) So tell us who you are, a little bit about your family and we'll dive in. So I'm Rebecca Townsend and I, um, gosh, I've lived in Clarksville now since 1993. So do the math. It's a long time. Um, I am married to my dear husband, the engineer is what I call him, uh, Andy. And I have two stepsons. Uh, one is 23 and in the air force stationed in Honolulu at, yeah, his, his first duty station. Mm. And then, uh, my youngest stepson is a junior at Clarksville high going to state, Oh, oh wow! Yes, right? yes. For baseball, so for baseball, yes, yes. yes. they won. Yes. Yeah, they won last week, and so, um, so fun. Yes, yeah, so and funny excited. story. So the coach lives across the street from us. One of the coaches, and they had a pool party after the win, which is at about 10 o'clock on a Friday night. And so, you know, of course, he sent texts to all of us saying, it's going to be loud. And we're like, we don't care. We're so excited for them. So they had a big time at a pool party. Right. So um, work wise, I am a licensed professional counselor and a senior licensed psych examiner. I have a private practice um, that I've been full time in my private practice for about 10 years. And prior to that, I was a school psychologist, and um, that's how I met you, Steph. Yeah, yeah right. Really. We worked together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's kind of my. Oh, and I have a little fur baby. Oh, um, Hansel. He actually goes to work with me every day. Oh, that's and, precious. Uh, my clients adore him. I'm gonna need to see a picture and, later. Oh, he's got Facebook page. Oh, I he has love an Instagram. It. I love yeah. it. He's kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Handsome Hansel. Handsome yeah. Hansel. Uh-huh. Um, so, but I grew up in Henderson, Kentucky, which is just a hundred miles away from, you know, Clarksville and mm-hmm. um, grew up in a family with, there were four of us girls. Um, I'm the second of the four. There was a gap between me and my younger sister about seven years. And then my youngest sister is 10 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we, I grew up. Uh, Catholic and went to Catholic school and 
Uh, then our Catholic school only went to the eighth grade, so then I went to public school and uh, then went to Catholic college as well. So Okay, in yeah. Kentucky? In Kentucky, yeah. Really? The, uh-huh. The um, university I went to is called Brescia University in Owensboro. It's very small. That um, Yeah, university. I know where Owensboro is. I haven't yeah. heard of that. That's so neat. Huh. Yeah. 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 So I say Rebecca and I have a lot of things in common, one being the school site connection. Mm-hmm. But then I also say we both fell in love with engineers as psychologists. <laughs> and that has challenges that we probably will talk about a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting when you see the world is kind of gray and you're married to someone that does not at all. It is so black and white. And yes. so, yeah, yeah, it's it's a fun, but sometimes... Communication is um, something that we work on very intentionally. Yeah. Um, it mm-hmm. is. You know, yeah. I say, so for me as a therapist, um, doing my own work is extremely important. So I tell all of my clients that I sit in a chair very similar to that 60 miles down the road, you know, at least once a month. Mm-hmm. And um, I tell them you wouldn't go to a dentist who didn't get his or her teeth cleaned. So I clean my emotional plaque off so that I can be more present. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that is something that um, that I, I just I feel very purposeful about that, that it's something I want to be intentional to be able to offer myself, you know, as much of a clean slate as I can to mm-hmm. my clients. Yeah. So that's something Andy and I are very intentional about in our marriage as well is um, doing the work. I'm not, not just, you know, talking about it or dancing around it, but he's been, um, he's been a game player in really saying, okay, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it. So we've done intensives, which is, you know, two to four day, um, therapy sessions with therapists. Probably we try to do that once every, uh, 12 to 18 months. Wow. Wow. To keep it clean. Yeah. 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 And I kind of want, we'll just jump off from there because I know one of the questions I wanted to mm-hmm. ask is let's talk about therapy being proactive and not reactive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a big, big fan as well. Mm-hmm. Mark and I have done it. I've done it. Right, um, we've done you know, it. Many seasons mm-hmm. in our life then, uh, that I felt like that was important and necessary and that I've worked through and, and not necessarily because everything was falling apart, but because you just kind of get that feeling like mm, things could be a little better. So kind of give your, you know, your take on the importance yeah. of, of being more proactive as opposed to reactive. Well, I think it, I mean, it goes back a long way um, because my parents divorced after 36 years of marriage. Oh, wow. And so I can see that had there been more proactive, um, you know, relationship work instead of reactive, um, that maybe it would have worked out, right? I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? You know, I don't have the crystal ball to look into that. Um, and then I had a failed marriage that lasted for three years. And so I also think that had we been more proactive, and there were a lot of, you know, circumstances. His mother was terminally ill and passed away. So there was a lot of stuff going on. And I frankly was not um, I didn't know how to be a wife. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in a family that was at best dysfunctional. Um, you know, we yelled a lot and had a lot of energy around things and then shut down before, you know, we were able to really um, resolve and, you know, find a, a peaceful resolution to things. Um, it was just kind of like a shutdown. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't really 
know how to be in relationship. And it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't date a ton of people there. I had maybe two serious relationships. Um, so after my failed marriage, well, I divorced the same year that my parents divorced. So it was a really interesting parallel uh, to be going through a divorce myself. And also, you know, I've told my parents that as dysfunctional as it was, that was the only dysfunction that I knew. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, even though the root system was rotten to some extent, but also a lot of good stuff in that. I mean, I don't want to say that, you know, my childhood was horrible. Um, It, I am am fortunate that I've been able to go back and reflect and that I've been able to go back and do a lot of my family of origin work mm-hmm. and even generational work, which is maybe something we can talk about as well. Um, but it really, and, and my husband came from a failed marriage as well. And so we both took this very seriously that once we realized like we're in it to win it, then we had to get a game plan, you know, and what was going to be our strategy to win it. Mm-hmm. Um, because there were also two children involved, you know, right. my husband's sons. And that to me was huge that I did not want to not be prepared for that. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm not a biological mom. I'd never been a parent and I was not in a, in a spot where I was going to take it lightly. So, when Andy and I realized that, you know, we were really serious about this, I started doing some research on how to be a step parent, mm-hmm. you know, like, what does this look like? How do you blend families? What needs to be done? What are some things that, you know, we need to talk about? How, how am I even going to be introduced into their lives? You know, like, how does this work? How do I gain any, um, authority or, um, like, yeah, how am I going to win them over, um, so we did a lot of that where I did a lot of it independently. And then Andy and I, um, even before we were engaged, we started participating in premarital, um, workshops, which gave us a lot of insight. We learned some really excellent tools that we still use today and how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of those are things that I've tweaked and I teach couples myself, um, because we've had such good success, um, with it that, you know, it's, it's, so to me, it's very important to be proactive, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I think, and that's just across the board, right. With health, mm-hmm. even with our physical being is like, we want to be proactive instead of reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we have a way to respond instead of having to react. Um, yeah. yeah. Very nice. So I look at therapy a lot like that, like a well checkup, right? Yeah. Like every, you know, so every so often <laughs> you go in and just get a checkup, like mm-hmm. how am I doing? Are things okay? And, maybe looking at blind spots that you're mm-hmm. not aware of exactly. and it, it can just be so, mm-hmm. so beneficial. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and if there is a tough spot, you know, it gives you an opportunity to have a third party, you know, help you navigate right. it. Yeah. yeah. And an objective, yeah. you know, third party that isn't mm-hmm. going to be partial to one or the other. That's, yeah. that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hate that there's, and you may correct me, I don't know, but I feel like, there's a stigma around mental health and there aren't as many, it's harder to access. Yes. And would you say that's, that's the case? I I think there are, yes, several things going on as far as um, mental health. There is a stigma attached to it. um, And it is also difficult to access for a couple of reasons. 
I think we have a shortage of mental health providers. Part of that is licensure, uh, because licensure takes such a, a lengthy uh, amount of time. It, we're talking two to three years after you already have your master's degree and after you already do a year-long internship. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and without a license, you cannot uh, get reimbursed by insurance companies. And then that brings a whole other layer of issues are the reimbursement uh, fees from insurance companies, which continue to um, either stabilize or decline a little bit. Um, So there's a lot involved, um, you know, that makes access really difficult. Even just, you know, having insurance that will cover the needed counseling or therapy. There are some insurance policies that don't, or they, they've limited it, limited it to just two or three, maybe four, Mm -hmm. you know, times that you can be seen before you, then you pay out of pocket, which Mm -hmm. can get very costly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you shared, you started in school psychology. Is that right? Is that where you started or you go before that? Okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, one about kind of why, why you feel like you fell into this field Mm -hmm. and then two, kind of how your career has evolved. So, um, I can, I feel like I was kind of, it's a calling to be a counselor. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was probably seven years old, um, I had a babysitter who it was, you know, I was, we were playing beauty shop and I listened to her for, I don't know how long about her boyfriend. (laughs) And at the end of the night, she said, I really think you should be a counselor when you grow up. And I wouldn't say that it stuck and that I was like, you know, on it. But then in the eighth grade, um, I decided I wanted to be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And um, I from there, I mean, a lot of circumstances happened. And I was in a really bad car accident when I was in high school and really felt like maybe I needed to go into ministry. And so my first major in college was actually lay ministry. And I wanted to be a um, youth counselor mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church. And then um, I had a really good time in college, really good time, (laughs) and perhaps was asked to choose another major um, Mm. because of my really good time. And so I chose um, psychology. And um, from there, I got really anxious about working with people. Um, I felt like I probably didn't have the skills, wouldn't know what to do with them. So when I came to Austin P, I actually started out in the program that was, um, it was called experimental psychology and I worked in the rat lab. And, um, so I was the caretaker of the rats. And, um, but after you get bitten a couple of times, I kept thinking like, maybe the human bite is not going to hurt this badly. <laughs> maybe um, I won't get rabies. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and I had most of my friends were doing the clinical psych program and, um, I had actually been the subject of, of an IQ test uh, for one of my, and I was like, this is really cool. Maybe I'll take a couple of classes. So I ended up doing a, a double concentration for my master's degree in clinical psych and an experimental. And, um, actually while I was still, um, in my master's program, I started working at a juvenile facility, a residential juvenile facility, and loved it. I loved the kids. Um, I thought that we were doing really good work there. And it was just a short-term program. It was like the assessment program. Once a kid was adjudicated, they went into an assessment program and then um, helped to determine what their long-term um, uh, treatment was going to be. 
So in all that, I started the assessment program at this because that was what um, my degree was in was testing, uh, psych testing. So I started that, and uh, then the the company was bought by a larger company, and they asked me to work in Nashville at a juvenile sex offender program. And um, I was trained by the University of Louisville in doing psychosexual evaluations, which was it was very hard. I mean, yes. I did oh. that. There were, we had 106 kids from all over the country and ages 6 to 18 who were perpetrators, but most of them were victims. I mean, let's mm-hmm. let, right. That's they were they were victimized mm-hmm. before they were perpetrators. And so I would do their psychosexual evaluations and hear these stories of mm. um you know, their abuse and then in ways that they abused others as well. And it just, it, it wearied my heart. Oh, I can't know? imagine. Um, so I, one of my best friends was a special ed teacher um, in a rural county. And I just had it one day. She had had like four snow days in a row and I'm driving <laughs> to Nashville. And um, I said, that's it. I'm going to cold call counties and see if I can be a school psychologist because I was doing the testing. I knew exactly what kind of testing to do. And um, so a rural county said, hey, actually today um, we had someone resign. She's not coming back after she has her baby. And um, sure, come on in for an interview. And I got the job and they, you know, I was enrolled uh, in my EDS program for school psych and I loved it. I loved school psych. Part of the reason why I loved it so much is because my youngest sister, who's 10 years older than me, has Williams syndrome, Mm. um, which is close to Down syndrome. And so she receives special education services. However, my parents were not... um, they weren't educated in the Mm -hmm. rights that they had or the rights that uh, my sister Bobby had. And so as I, you know, continued in school psych and learned special ed law, it was like, wow, there was some real holes in her education and opportunities to follow. Um, By this time she had already graduated, but it helped. I think it helped me to give my parents some tools um, that they were unaware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I mean, I just, I, and I still have a passion for school psych. I still love to, um, help parents and students, um, mm-hmm. find a way that they can, uh, get, you know, the education that they deserve and will best meet their needs. Yeah. So. You've been on this journey. <laughs> it's definitely listening to him like, wow, this has not been a straight shot. Oh, it's heck been no, this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's well, yeah. and I put a lot, packed a lot in my 50 years. <laughs> well, and using your own personal passions, you know, yes. like to be able to say, okay, this matters to me because of this in my life. This matters to me because of this in my mm-hmm. life. So, okay. So talk about, so we were, we were worked together for yeah. years. Um, and then you left to begin your private practice. Mm-hmm. So Talk about kind of that, how so, that happened and yeah. where that came from. So the private practice actually started when I left corporate um, office because, um, you know, going from a, a, a private corporation into a rural county school system, there was a huge pay cut. Oh, and <laughs> one can only imagine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I actually um, 
started uh, working for another private practice, and I did disability evaluations uh, for the state. And I really love that, too, because it really kept me humble, um, because you get the spectrum of, of people when you're doing disability evaluations. And um, I just, I love to hear people's stories, you know? And so it was just this opportunity that I got to sit with people who in this process of applying for disability felt like they had never been heard. Mm-hmm. And I just allowed them to tell me their story and I gathered the information and, you know, did whatever testing I had to do. Um, and so that's how I started in private practice was purely through assessment still, But there was also an element of it, of hearing a story, giving them hope, you know, letting them just, I think that's when I learned that one of the most important things that we can give someone is space and to allow them the space to be heard, to be validated, uh, to know that they're important, that Mm -hmm. their story has a place. And um, that's probably what gave me the courage to be able to sit with people in their space, in their junk, without an IQ test between us, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, was that it was just this nurturing of time that I needed to know that that was important. And the interesting thing is, is that there were people that I did disability evaluations with who would later call me um, once the, you know, the state had decided whether or not they received benefits or not and wanted to do counseling. And I was like, oh, I don't do that. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 I don't do that. I'll just do the testing. Um, but here's some names that you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Then, and so this is all, you know, I'm kind of doing this in the evenings and in the summertime, weekends, I would sometimes do Saturdays. Um, But then when I came to Clarksville Montgomery County School System, um, I was placed in schools on the north side of town. And um, well, let me back up because it was really before that when I had this awareness. So here I lived in Clarksville, right next to Fort Campbell, Kentucky since 1993. And the only thing that I really knew about Fort Campbell was that when I was single and would hang out on Franklin Street, there were some really cute guys (laughs) who um, were like, what, you know, butter bars, first lieutenant, second Mm -hmm. lieutenants, right? And um, they just liked to party. And at that point, I did too. Um, But that was kind of the gist of what I knew about the military. I did not come from a military family. I had an uncle who graduated from the Naval Academy. Um, My paternal grandfather served in World War II, but I was 18 months old when he passed away. Mm -hmm. And there were really no stories until recently about his service. (laughs) So anyway, um, I had done a disability evaluation for um, someone who was in the first... um, First, it it was fifth group here at Fort Campbell, ODA team, uh, special forces group, who was taking Hamid Karzai from Pakistan back into Afghanistan. So this was October of 2001 um, when this soldier was going in. And um, he was hit by friendly fire. And um, so this was like four years later. He was coming in for a state disability evaluation. And I was super confused because he had served for 19 years. And I was like, why are you having to get state disability? Won't the Army take care of you? And he was having to fight 
for his benefits through the army. And I was just like, and I mean, I probably sat with him for three hours, twice as long as I had, you know, most of the other clients that I would see. But I was intrigued by this story. Like, what? I don't understand what's going on. Like, I was under the impression that if you were hurt, you know, while you were serving, that we were going to take care of you. And we weren't. And he was like, this was first in, you know, like mm-hmm. after 9-11. And so I was just really, I don't know, it just, it truly confused me. But at that point, I didn't really research anymore, but that story stuck in my head. So fast forward, I'm in schools in the north side of Clarksville, and it's 2006. In 2005 to 2006, there was a full division deployment from Fort Campbell. So basically 19,000 soldiers had been deployed. Um And that meant that they all came home around the same time. So, um, you know, we were flooded with needs in the school system. And although as a school psychologist, what we really did was, you know, assessment of kids, but the need was so great that teachers were starting to say like, so we've got these parents that are trying to, you know, uh, reunify after, you know, uh, deployment and, you know, can you help this kids having problems, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and I'd, I'd had a, my own private practice at this point and was like, well, I don't know what to do. I mean, how can we figure right. this out? At this same time, I um, had started running with um, two two ladies. Um, one, the, both of their husbands were deployed and one's husband was a medic and the other husband's was a, a husband was a flight surgeon. And so um, I had this officer's wife and an enlisted wife. So this was all brand new to me. Like, I'm just like soaking all this in because when you're training for a marathon, you hear a lot of stories <laughs> and I, and I ask a lot of questions. Um, so I had my wheels just started turning, like what's going on? Like, how can we help? You know, I see both of these, um, ladies did not have children, but you know, they, the struggle for them was what am I going to do when my husband comes home? How am I going to, what are they going to be like? How, how am I going to respond? What if I can't handle what it is that they've seen or what they need to share? And so we're searching for like, you know, cause I'm in it with them now, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. and I never met their husbands. You know, we started running, you know, right after they deployed and, um, it was, it was just a really neat, I mean, I feel like through those two ladies, Katie and Diana, that my eyes were open to so much and I received this, um, front row seat, you know, to what redeployment looks like, to what it looks like to welcome, you know, your spouse home after being in, and this was not an easy deployment for anybody in 0506. And, um, so to just hear them and walk beside them on their journey. And I will say they, they both PCSed after this, but we are all still good friends. Um, and it was, it was a magical time for so many reasons, but they inspired me to, um, really get in the trenches with our military families. And I just, Something set me on fire and um, I just got fully immersed in it and made a decision. I say it was a God really gave me a dream, a literally a dream um, to 
start some type of organization that would offer services um, to our military families and would also teach other mental health providers how to work with the military. And, um, and that organization is still around. It's called safe soldiers and families embrace. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. that came to me in a dream in 2006. That and, is incredible. Um, I founded it as a nonprofit in January of 2007. And, um, I, finished my, my duty with it and handed it off in 2013. Um, but that journey really, um, kind of formed, I think who I am and, um, the passion that I have for people who serve our nation and really kind of took me back to my own roots, um, with my grandfather, Mm -hmm. um, and his, his journey during world war II. So, Mm. yeah. 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 So once again, what I hear you saying is I had friends who had needs. It became personal to me. And so I think there's a thread through your story, Rebecca, that you are one of these people that when you see a need and it's someone you love and care about, you're going to figure out how to fix it. And you pursue that. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm. when I developed On Purpose Coaching, I knew that one of the things that I wanted to do was a live event at least once a year where we could come together as women, where we could talk about the hard stuff and the fun stuff, the things we love, the things we don't like so much, and really where we could begin to understand our purpose. And that is the topic of this year's On Purpose Live event, Understanding Your Purpose. I hope that you will plan on grabbing your tickets during the month of May to get an early bird price. You can do that at stephaniecook.org forward slash events and use the coupon code EARLYBIRD for a discounted ticket, which includes your dinner, the event, a t-shirt, and lots of fun surprises. So I hope you will plan on joining us on August the 6th at the Family Life Center in Clarksville, Tennessee for On Purpose Live 2021. Visit stephaniecook.org forward slash events and grab your ticket today. Awesome. So do you want to speak a little bit, Hannah, to kind of your experience? I do. Um, It's, it's, uh, it is, it's hard to talk about this. It's a part of our life and our journey that um, it's just hard. We struggled with PTSD. My husband did and um, TBI. I'm sorry. Like you just kind of hit me for a second, making me tear up. Um, It was 05, 06. It was um, he went in 2003 and first appointment was 2004 and then, you know, 2005 and then 2006 and then 2007 and then 2008. And, um, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard. We spent, oh gosh, I'm sorry. These tears are just, whoo, it just kind of hit me. Um, it changed him. It changed him. And when he came home, it was very much like <laughs> what happened. I don't know who you are. We had this young son, and um, <laughs> it was very, very difficult, and there was not help, and you could not get help for fear of losing your job. My husband was an infantry soldier. He was enlisted, and um, there was such a stigma around that, mm-hmm. and so we, we really just, as a military family, you come together, <laughs> you don't even really talk about these issues. You just hunger down, and you just plow through it. You yeah. take care of each other, and you you know, you move on and you go and you go and you go. And so this went on for years. Um, he just became distant and angry. And then the suicides in our unit, um, yeah. the broken families, the strange way these soldiers would come home and die because they're 
they're broken. They don't know how to, to re-engage with society. Um, so the, the strangest things, um, getting drunk and then going cliff diving or high speed chases, yeah. you know, um, just awful, awful things. And it was like, we were in a war at home. Yeah. Um, awful, awful things too. living on base there. <laughs> I would, I would be afraid to sleep with Steven sometimes because if I moved too quickly or mm-hmm. he would jump or, you know, get very scared. And there had been wives killed that way on, you know, their husbands just in this panic snapped their necks on accident, you know? And so this was, this is where we were living. This is what we were, this is what was going on. And to have a man, you know, Stephen and I were, we were going to be missionaries. This is what, like, this is the man who loved God and I loved God and we were going to live for God and for him to come home and be like, I don't want to talk about God. I don't want to go to church. God can't love me. God can't love me for what I've done in war or what I've seen. How can God love anyone and allow these things to happen? Um, he had lost so many friends. I can't tell you how many, how many ceremonies we went to for people that we lost. And just this brokenness. So this is the road that we traveled and God really intervened. But it's funny. Um, I had started becoming very bitter toward the military because yeah. there just weren't any help. Mm-hmm. And it was just deployment under deployment and just, uh, it was crazy. So we ended up going to, uh, they put us on recruiting orders, which I would have taken a deployment over recruiting. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. And it was there that everything just fell apart. Um, but it was a couple of his army guys, his buddies that stepped in and saw these signs of, in Steven, like you, you have PTSD, you have TBI or traumatic brain injury. Like there's, you have got some stuff going on and they, they basically were like, you either are going to get help or we're going to, we're going to make sure you're out of the army. Like they just kind of forced his hand and praise God they did. He ends up going to Walter Reed and was there, I really think it was almost about a month, and came home with these tools that helped us. And it was like, finally, finally we have tools. I have I have someone that listened to me and said, because you know, I would try to talk with family, and they were like, oh, you're just not being supportive. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, you don't understand what's going on. And most of my friends were civilians, because this time we had moved. And, you know, what, what do you what do? You do? Mm-hmm. So... It was um, this crazy, crazy journey of trying to get help, finally feeling listened to, having Walter Reed, which was run by the military, um, intervene and offer help. And they combined, you know, like relaxation tactics. Mm-hmm. And um, even it was something, it was like EMDR. Yes, EMDR, and eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Yes, and it's because every time Stephen would have these memories or these smells or these sounds, he would have these physical reactions and they, they would get better, but he was, he just, he, he needed help. And so this, these, um, tactics actually help him to be able to recall Mm -hmm. the circumstances and not have that emotional attachment to it. And we, I mean, I just soaked that man in prayer. We just, it was a lot of scripture, a lot of praying over him, a lot of friends, from church, just walking me, walking with me through this process. And he, um, he came home with 19 medications. Mm. It was a zombie, but work through it. And I'm going to tell you what, um, we've been married. It'll be 18 years. Mm. This man, God has just worked in his life and it took work. It took these tools. It mm. took the counseling, um, all of it, but it, it, 
I'm, I'm glad I stayed with him. Yeah. I'm glad that we worked through it. Um, but man, journeying through it and knowing that there are others out there that have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like I, <laughs> I would be like, not that I ever want to take away from his service or what he has went through, but I felt like I had some trauma yes. walking that and experiencing mm-hmm. that and just trying to get that out. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, you're not the only one who's been traumatized right. by this. Right. So, um, I, and I spent a long time running from the story mm-hmm. and it kind of came out in my writing. So as I began to write, it was just very therapeutic. And I realized that I can't run from the story. I can't pretend that it didn't happen. Um, and we're still, you know, we're years from this happening, um, but it's still a process. You even had to relearn how to feel. That was one thing that I learned about PTSD. It was the strangest thing. Finally in counseling one day, he looked at me and he said, I know, I know something's wrong with me. That's what he said. And he said, I can look at you and I can look at our, our child and I don't feel anything. And that was so hard to hear. Um, but he knew that it, he knew that it wasn't right. He knew that he wanted to feel. And the only thing that he could feel was anger mm-hmm. because he had to shut everything down to be able to do what he needed to do. Yeah. And so to take that time to relearn how to feel. I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm so glad that we worked through that. Um, and he, it's so funny. Like even, even now he will be like, how am I doing? How am I treating you? You know, how am I? And we, we talk openly. Um, it, it's been a journey and I don't know if we'll ever get off that journey, right. you know, yeah. but I love knowing that we can help others who've gone through it. Yeah. Cause man, and we were babies. Yes. I was 19 and he was 20 and yeah. this was our life. And wow. ugh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm over here just like, no. <laughs> oh, goodness. But yeah, that is our PTS, mm-hmm. PTS um, journey. And um, I'm so thankful that God is restoring and redeeming it. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think what you said about, um, you know, once I was able to get the active duty members, the Mm -hmm. soldiers, the the veterans help, what became blatantly obvious to me was that the spouses and family members were not receiving the support. Right. That they, too, had secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has still been somewhat of a struggle is to find resources. Like I can find a retreat for a veteran to go to right that. I mean, there's not a problem, but to find something for a spouse to get to has been a little bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that it has been extremely difficult on the spouses um, to try to hold the family together, right. you know, to take care of their own mental health needs, their own physical well-being, while also, you know, in many ways becoming a par- parentified spouse, right. you know, to to the veteran, um, yes. which really that burdens the marriage mm-hmm. to care for them, yes. and, um, um, even the kiddos. Mm-hmm. You know, our daughter was super young. Um, Stephen was injured the last deployment and they gave him the opportunity to be medically retired. And then we took it. Mm-hmm. And, but my, our son um, was old enough to remember just all of it mm-hmm. and all, you know, all of the things and the anger, the, just how Stephen was so just detached and aloof and angry and, you know, all those things. And so our son 
just remembers all of that and struggling now with, I think his own, you know, demons regarding this. And this is what, this is what war, this is a sacrifice that you it's, make to it's keep a generational trauma. It is. It's a generational trauma. It, it is. And, um, just helping McLean, our son to know your daddy is a different man. Your daddy went through a lot and he's fought, he's fought to come back and he has fought through this and God has, is, has healing him. Um, and yes, your father went through a lot and you experienced a lot. Um, and we acknowledge that and we are sorry that you had to deal with those things and, and see them and experience them. Um, but we're going to ask you to forgive your dad and we're going to ask you to build a relationship and move past it. And so watching McLean now at 16, um, struggle with anxiety mm-hmm. and, um, really just struggling to connect with Steven. And that is something that just, it breaks, it breaks Steven. Cause he's like, I, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm like, keep trying. Yeah. You, you know, you keep doing it. This is just, it's an, it's an effect. Mm-hmm. We knew that there would be effects of war. Um, I don't think I realized that I knew how it would affect McLean, yeah. you know? Um, but I am thankful for the scars. Yeah, I really am. And God will use them and Absolutely. is using them. And I trust that even in McLean's young life, that he is going to use these. Mm-hmm. And I'm just giving that to God constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so now, Rebecca, what, you know, you've done this kind of work leading up to now. Mm-hmm. So tell me what, what kind of work you're doing right now. Are you continuing to work with PTSD? I know you do a lot with couples. Mm-hmm. So tell us kind of yeah. what, what that looks like today. So um, in in the midst of, you know, all of all of these years, um, I have been trained in um, experiential therapy, which is more hands-on. We're going to do things so that we make this trip from our head to our heart, you know, this 18-inch trip, um, the longest journey we'll ever make. But when we actually, like, engage in activity, um, it makes it a little bit faster instead of just talk, talk, talk. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that, um, I I say it's adult play therapy. Um, So, (laughs) Oh, goodness. That can have a lot of definitions. Uh, That's a different show. That's a different show. (laughs) That's not our podcast. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, uh, but I have like beanie babies and, you know, scarves and props is what we call them, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, that just help us to get outside of our head. Um, And that's one of the things like with EMDR Mm -hmm. and brain spotting, some of those trauma therapies, it does help us to, you know, kind of um, build a bridge between the right and left hemisphere of our brain so that we aren't stuck in this cognitive trying to think it, Mm -hmm. you know, into rightness, you know, Um, there is a part of it that we actually have to 
tell from our inner child, you know, and, and that's really like, people are like, that inner <laughs> child weirdness. Um, and I was one of those, you know, that when I did finally start uh, doing counseling that I was like, I'm never going to be that therapist that goes back to childhood. <laughs> well, guess what kind of therapist I am? You go back to childhood. I go back to childhood. I mean, like sometimes even pre-birth, you know, like what was the energy like between your parents when you were conceived, mm-hmm. you know, were, were, was this a planned pregnancy? You know, was this something that was an oops? Or, you know, how were you talked about before you were even in this, you know, world? Mm-hmm. Um, because that, we carry all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, we carry all of that. There's, you know, epigenetics talks about um, how we carry the cortisol from our grandmother's. The cortisol. That's amazing. I mean, we carry the genetic, like everything that our grandmothers experienced is a part of who we are, you know, because our mothers, you know, they, their eggs were developing in their grandmother's utero. Right. I Mm -hmm. mean, like there's, so it's amazing that like my grandmother's experience is truly in my DNA. Hmm. So this is the kind of work that I like, I take individuals and couples now, because what I know is that trauma is not just about our experiences, but it is also generational. And so one of the things that I've realized is, um, so my grandfather, whom I, you know, didn't really know, I was 18 months old when he passed away, um, heard a couple stories, but really not a lot about him. Um, probably about six years ago, my dad, um, handed me this tattered manila envelope and said, this is all of Pat Paul's stuff from world war II that I have. And so I was like, Oh, well at this point, you know, so Andy, my husband was active duty and, um, now he's in the national guard and that's his full-time job mm-hmm. is in the national guard. So he was, you know, super curious about it as well. And, um, I mean, my grandfather's DD-214 was in there. Um, his, you know, he had these two maps of where he was in oh, that's Europe, incredible. right? And there was also a letter from the Red Cross. And the letter from the Red Cross was um, that, you know, uh, Private Townsend, we are sorry uh, to inform you of your mother's death. Mm. And um, my, you know, my dad, my grandfather's mother died while he was in war and his, he had two other brothers who were also in war. Um, and so when my grandfather, so I started asking my dad and my aunt questions about this because my grandmother passed away when I was 15. Um, so I was asking him and they said, yeah, when, when he came home from war, his, nobody was there. Like he didn't have a home anymore because his father had actually moved as well. And so my grandfather, um, lived, you know, for about six months with his um, aunt and uncle before he married my grandmother. And so it was just this heartbreaking, like you lose your mom while you're at ward and who knows how many friends he lost, you know, my grandfather was, you know, um, landed in Normandy. Like it was after D-Day, like, you know, three days after D-Day. And, 
And now you come home and you don't have a home anymore. You know, you have no idea where your dad is and the abandonment of all of that, right? Just the insecure attachment that you suddenly feel like you have nothing, nowhere. You don't have a meaning in life. So um, this, you know, has had started to really be of interest to me. And um, one of the things that I've been really fortunate to do is um, something called a family reconstruction. And a family reconstruction was kind of, it's based off of Virginia Satir's uh, family therapy model. And, um, and then Sharon Cruz took it and tweaked it a little bit more to do more psychodrama in it. And um, so basically you work with a therapist for a year to tell your life story and um, kind of the culmination of that is a full day psychodrama. It's a reconstruction of your life. And um, I was fortunate to be able to do this in August of 2019 at a place called Onsite uh, down the road at Cumberland Furnace. And um, I did it um with the support of 60 other professionals um, in the room while I processed my life's journey. And this was, you know, my, my grandparents, you know, I did a lot of genealogy research at this point and uh, interviewed my mom, interviewed my dad, um, got on ancestry.com, put some pieces together um, to really figure out like what, what I carry that came from my grandparents. And it was so interesting to see like, Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and to like, it's a healing process. Mm-hmm. You know, there are corrective, like what, what did you need at that point in your life? And, you know, you enlist people from the audience to, to role play different um, important people in your life to, kind of shift it. And so in that, um, there was a lot of healing for me that happened that I was able, and I say this to a lot of veterans, like I was able to unpack my rucksack mm-hmm. that had gotten so heavy and awkward and to like realize like, I don't need to hang on to this anymore. This isn't really mine. You know, I'm carrying this for other people and I can put this in my God box, right? Mm -hmm. Like God can take that. And then I can like reconfigure how I have it packed because it's my journey. It's my story. It's not like I can get rid of it, right? but I can repack it in a way that is easier to carry. Um, so with that information, I, um, and then I'll fast forward just a minute. I don't know if this is relevant. I don't know why I'm talking about this, but, um, so I ended up, um, I'd had a lot of health problems like, uh, the year before I'd had what we now know were complex migraines and probably some residual from cervical myelopathy. Um, but it was mimicking multiple sclerosis. Mm. And so I was on this journey of like, what is wrong with me? Something is, is not okay. I don't feel okay. I was having a lot of neuromuscular problems. Um, and so I completely shifted the way I was eating, the way I was living life. And, um, I was exercising a lot more and, um, actually was rowing. That was the, my exercise of choice ended up with, tennis slash rowing elbow. Oh my goodness. And, um, 
and physical therapy for that, but I was not responding well. Like something was still off and the, the really genius physical therapist was like, Rebecca, I know you're being assessed for MS. Have they done a cervical spine MRI yet? And I said, no, I actually have an appointment with the MS clinic at Vanderbilt, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, why don't you just see if your orthopedic can go ahead and do that? And he knew as well that this was something that we were looking into. So he did a cervical spine MRI and hit the jackpot. Um, I had four severely herniated discs in my neck. Um, that we don't really know. I mean, I was in that car wreck when I was 17, had had a couple of concussions since because I'm really a klutz. <laughs> and, um, but the, the, um, cerebral spinal fluid was just eking, you know, like there wasn't a whole lot of room the way these discs were herniated. Um, my only option at that point was surgery and the surgery options here in the United States we're not going to truly fix it. It was going to be a Band-Aid. And um, I just started researching and um, started, I talked to a couple of surgeons in Nashville. I had the option of a full fusion, um, had the option of two artificial discs, um, because in the States, the FDA is only approved level two. And um, I found a surgeon in Germany. Uh, in Europe, they do four-level and they have a better disc that's not yet FDA approved here. So I went to Germany to have wow. neck surgery. And um, this is where this links back to my grandfather. Um, so those two maps that were in the tattered manila envelope hang in my office. Um, and I look at them every day because my clients sit underneath these two um, maps. And you know, we, I guess we had a six week lead from when the surgeon called me from Germany to accept me as a patient until we were going. And about two weeks before we left, I, I don't know, I, I looked at these maps and I was like, oh my gosh, I think we're going to be close to uh, this town where my grandfather, he was an engineer. Um, <laughs> That's you know, funny. Isn't it? Um, <clears throat> at, at electrician. He was in the engineer battalion and um, where they built bridges to cross the Roar River. <laughs> and so I went home. I was so excited, you know, like telling Andy about this. And he's like, I've already researched it. Um, we're going to be about 45 minutes away. And, um, of course we knew we would have to get permission from my surgeon to be able to, you know, kind of leave campus. And, um, he was great with it, you know, after I recovered and, um, we had watched a lot of documentaries. Uh, we watched the band of brothers before we <laughs> went course. again. Of course. Um, but we had, you know, I'd really done some research about, uh, my grandfather's engineer battalion and kind of the journey that they took. And so the crossing of the Roar River was um, pretty brutal. There were actually, when you watch some YouTube videos on it, um, uh, it's a, a mean river. I mean, it flows harshly. And there were soldiers who drowned in doing this. Well, we were watching this one night before we went to Germany, and it hit me like, oh, my gosh, this is why my dad never learned how to swim. Because we grew up on the Ohio River, and we were never allowed to be on the river. We, I went on um, like one boat ride. Um, I mean, like we were just not allowed to wow. go out on the river with friends. And my dad never learned how to swim, and my aunt didn't know how to swim either. 
And I just had this like, this is why, because my grandfather witnessed, you know, people drowning and I can't imagine he was 18 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't imagine what that would have been like for him. So it just, things just started really clicking for me um, as far as like some of the behaviors that I grew up with, you know, with my dad and how just, it just started to make sense to me. And I started to have more compassion um, about what my dad's story must have been growing up and, you know, some of the things that he must have received um, as a result of living um with a World War II veteran, you know. Right. Um, and so we were fortunate <clears throat> enough to be able to um, cross the Roar River and actually in Eulish, um, Germany, where my grandfather was. Uh, Andy drove me straight to this, um, to the river, and all of the crossings were still there. Uh, the community <clears throat> had rebuilt them. Wow. And um, we weren't really sure we were in the right place. We kept looking and um, as we crossed the river and came back up, there was the same map that I had. That's incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, there were like, there was a little ways off. There was a little, um, area that had one of the boats that, uh, the Americans used to cross. And, uh, the second map that I had was in this big, uh, museum area. And it was like, wow. You know, mm. finally found my roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a connection. Yeah. So that's kind of what I do now, yeah. Stephanie, is I help people to find the roots. Like mm-hmm. we work on the root system. Right. Right. Because we're not going to grow healthy. You know, our limbs aren't going to grow. We're not going to flourish if our root system is rocky mm-hmm. if it's not healthy. Yeah. And so sometimes we're not aware of that because, you know, there are older generations who don't tell stories, who it's never been safe to tell those stories. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's on us to examine that. And because I think it is in our DNA, because I think that, you know, God has planted it in us, that we really do know the answer if we will just give ourselves the time and space to discover it. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. And I think that is so true, just generationally, just being kind of the age we are. I feel like we're sandwiched between these generations of these young people that are like, we're going to talk about everything and we're going to ask all the questions. And these, you know, an an older generation that's like, you just don't. Like, you just, you, you, you know, head down, get through. We don't talk about it, you know, kind of thing. And so it's real interesting. I don't know how you feel, but to be in my 50s and be like, we are sandwiched between two completely different feelings about how we deal with mental health so yes absolutely anyway yeah absolutely well this has been so great like i feel like we should just keep going and cut it in two sessions (laughs) it's really good um i do want to just point out before i know we're i know we're wrapping up but there's a scripture and i should probably spend a moment googling it but it talks about how we like there's healing and confessing to one another mm-hmm. and confessing and it's just sharing those stories you know maybe not necessarily something that you did maybe something that happened to you or something that you found out and it's just this confessing and there's some kind of healing that happens and god knows this yes god knows yes. it mm-hmm. and i think god will provide safe spaces for that. Mm -hmm. I think that's the part that, um, to share our stories in a space that is safe, right? you know, because it isn't, it is through vulnerability that we connect Mm -hmm. and it's through connection that we heal, you know? And so I think because most of us have been hurt 
through connection. So we can heal through connection as well, but we just need to make sure it's a safe place. Mm -hmm. If we don't have that assurance, then the possibility is that we'll be hurt again. And then we go back to not trusting, go back to shutting down. And so I always think about Brene Brown's story about the marble jar, about testing the waters with people and that people earn marbles, you know, when they're trustworthy. And I had a client, a teenager several years ago, and she said that she had a test. It's the bubblegum test. <laughs> and the bubblegum test is where she has gum and a classmate would ask her, can I have a piece of gum? And she would be like, well, I mean, I'll give you a piece, but you can't tell anybody else that I gave you this gum. Mm. And then if somebody else would come up and ask her, so-and-so told me, she knew not trustworthy. That's kind of, it's pretty profound for a young girl. But it was something like she knew, like Mm -hmm. it needed to be something small Mm -hmm. so that I could test the waters with them. I'm not going to share my whole story with somebody and see if it gets spread across, you Mm -hmm. know, the room. Yeah. But. I'm going to test it with a piece of gum. So yeah. if you ever ask me for bubble gum, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell my know. girls that. Yeah. Well, and I lie to you, love. I mean, the whole reason we started this podcast is because we believe in stories. Mm-hmm. We believe that stories are healing. And I love the scripture in Revelation that says that the enemy's defeated by the power of the blood and the power of our testimonies. Mm. And I think that we all know from scripture that what stays in the darkness is never going to be healed. That's right. And so again, I I agree wholeheartedly, Mm. Rebecca, you can't just, you can't share that with anyone in any space. Right. But the importance of finding the space where you can is just absolutely crucial Mm -hmm. to be able to heal. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to share that we didn't get to or we didn't talk about? Oh, there's lots. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. but no, I mean, um, I, so right now I am, I do intensives for couples Mm -hmm. in my office and um, it's a full day of um, story work, you know, about your relationship and, you know, your own family of origin. And it really helps um, couples to connect at a deeper level um, so that they can be more intentional. I teach them tools. Um, so that's called a couple's intensive. Um, that's right now the only way that I'm taking new clients. Is that was my question. For, do you have do you have options for people to come on board right now? So right now for, for um, I, I'm tight. I don't mm-hmm. really have any right. extra space. Um, but what I've found is that when I have a couple come in and do a full day intensive, and then I, I do two follow-ups um, that are included with that, they get so much done. I mean, because we are very intentional with that time. And it is probably a good six to 10 months worth of therapy in that day. Wow. Um, I, I also do two to four day intensives, um, which is a lot for people to like go, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? <laughs> but I don't sit and talk the whole time. I mean, we are doing activities. Um, you know, we're engaging Um mm-hmm just all parts of your story to be included in, in this day of work. So, and that's, um, you can look up Rebecca Townsend.com and under, um, work with us. Um, it's, it's in there. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. And we'll link that to you in our Absolutely. show notes so you can, there'll be a link there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. This yeah. has been fantastic. Thank you for yeah. being here. And oh, absolutely. I some a topic it. near and dear to my heart. Yes. So thank you. Thank I appreciate you, it. <laughs> thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Because that, I think that, um, I, it's hard. Mm. It's hard supporting a soldier. Mm. Yeah. Thank so. you. <laughs> well, we okay. always wrap up our show with the f- one question called what's your favorite story because we're called what's your story so what would you t- what would you say is your favorite story oh well i just told one about my grandfather <laughs> yeah, right? yes. like about that journey um but um hmm and i thought about this like okay what is my favorite story and this is going to sound really cheesy that's okay we love cheesy we stories we do <laughs> i'm a sucker for cheesy so, stories <laughs> And uh, well, it's it's a movie, mm-hmm. um, but I love Elf, and I love that story. <laughs> I would never have expected that. <laughs> this is me. I'm just got all kinds of things. Multifaceted, so yes. right? Mm-hmm. Well, I love Elf one because I love to laugh, <clears throat> but two because I think it's a great story about um, you know finding your roots. Right, mm-hmm. right. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it's. I think that it is, and then just the coming together of working together as a community. Um, you know, to have a happy ending. So, right. I, I, I mean, aside yes. from it just being hilarious and giving me it permission is. to sing off the wall songs, and you know, <laughs> spontaneously, right. um, I think it is just the the journey of going back to finding your roots. And then growing healthy from there. Mm-hmm. So. I love it. It's <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> love it. Well, thank we you. We quote Elf all of the we time. We do. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. Yes. <laughs> yes. My family's favorite quote is you sit on a throne of lies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. hear this a lot. It's like when I tricked my family with cauliflower, I got that text message yeah. um, with a little, great. you know, gif of the elf. You yeah. sit on the throne You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, it was nice yeah. meeting you. Oh, it was a pleasure to meet you too. Thank you, ladies, for having me. Yeah, thank it's you. Been fun. Today's episode may be one of my favorites, and I'm so proud of Hannah and for the way that she opened up and shared her own story. And I'm so grateful for Rebecca and folks like her that do the hard work to work on mental health in our world. If you feel like some of Rebecca's services may be beneficial to you, be sure to reach out RebeccaTownsend.com and get enrolled in some of the things that she has going on through her private practice. Also, if maybe Rebecca's services are not exactly what you need, but you are in need of some additional mental health services, find a therapist that you can do some proactive work with. And it's never a bad idea to just get a regular checkup and to take care of your mental health, just like we do our physical health. As always, we are so grateful for you being here today. We love it when you rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. That helps us to reach a larger audience, as does your sharing our episodes with your family and friends. And when our audience grows, that means we're able to book even better guests as we go forward. 
we do want to celebrate. We surpassed 20,000 downloads this week. So thank you to each and every one of you that have listened to our episodes from the beginning and to those of you that may have just joined us as new friends. As always, we'll be back with you next Sunday for a brand new episode of the What's Your Story podcast.